Welcome to the latest podcast by the National Institute of Economic and Social Research. I am Luca Pieri and today we are going to talk about one of the most discussed topics in the UK public debate and in the policymaking arena in recent times. Leveling up to help us navigating this complex topic is Adrian Pabst, one of the two deputy directors of the Institute. Hi Adrian, a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you very much Luca, great to be here. Adrian, first of all, what do we really mean by leveling up? I think we can conceive of leveling up in two ways. One is the government's approach, which is to reduce regional inequalities, spread prosperity, and also uh, a sense of community cohesion uh, and pride in the places that have you know, essentially lost out from deindustrialization and, and globalization of the last 30, 40 years. And I think there's a lot of you know, value to think about in those terms. I think the, the danger that this approach risk running, though, is that it essentially thinks that the economic model can be uh, repaired, reformed, and that in some sense, by now, you know, investing in the places where we haven't, we can uh, we can deal with that challenge. I think we at the National Institute tend to think about it more in terms of regional regeneration, where the emphasis is really on growing national assets, not just trying to replicate some of the models, be they based on finance or technology, but actually thinking what will work for the different constituent parts of the country, for the three devolved nations, for the different regions of England, but also for pockets of deprivation that are really existing everywhere. I mean, they're concentrated in the Northeast, in parts of Wales and Scotland, but of course there are pockets of deprivation in London and really all across the country, especially the rural and coastal areas. And I think our sense is that while cities really matter to levelling up, Not only London, but of course, the second tier of cities, you know, the Leeds, the Birmingham's, the Manchester's, the Cardiff's, the Edinburgh's, the Glasgow's, the Belfast's of this world. City-based development isn't going to level up the adjacent areas and also isn't going to really help the coastal and rural areas. So whilst agglomeration and cities are really crucial for Britain, which is a very urbanized country, we still, I think, are yet to develop models for rural, coastal, and and suburban areas. And I think that's where we also need to extend our thinking beyond what is being done as part of the levelling up programme by the government. So, Adrian, why do you think recent governments have placed so much emphasis on this? You know, often it has become their flagship policy. Maybe we think, like, obviously, the UK is one of the Western, you know, countries, very developed, and we, we struggle to really understand to which extent there are geographic, spatial inequalities, and so on and so forth. So, why now, in a way? So I think the reason why it's now so front and centre of the political and policy debate, and I think really one of the things that both the Conservatives, Labour, but also other parties agree is the pressing priority, is because we now know that the dominant economic model for the last 40 years or so hasn't worked for large parts of the country, and crucially, uh, many, many millions of people Uh, everywhere in the UK. I think it was first brought home to us at the time of the financial crash in 2008-9, when the sheer dependence on global finance, you know, led to this disaster and plunged us all into a really serious, you know, bit of economic turmoil. But then, of course, also the fact that we got Brexit, we had, you know, COVID, the cost of living crisis, all of these things show that the foundations of our economic model aren't working. They're very fragile. We're very, very dependent on the global economy in ways that is you know, simply not helpful. We don't have enough manufacturing and industry. You know, we lack people in sectors such as care, construction, you know, and much else besides. So our economy has been too concentrated in the South. Our political system has been too centralized and it hasn't worked well for everyone who isn't part of finance, law, accounting, and so on. 
So therefore, I think the crises of the last 15 years have brought this home. I think people have told us uh, in the way that they've voted that they want to see real change. And I think it's now up to policymakers to really provide answers that aren't just trying to fix a system or repair it at the margin, but transform it, have a different economic model that actually works for you know millions and millions of people up and down the country. So obviously, this is a process that requires long-term challenges, long-term planning, and probably the, some results, we are going to see them in quite a few years' time from now. But what can you tell us of how Leveling Up is going you know, so far? What has been achieved in concrete terms? And has some project, for instance, already been completed or they're still you know, halfway through or not even started? So the, the Leveling Up white paper that was published you know, about a year ago you know, has a number of missions. And I think quite sensibly, those missions are defined in terms of what we can achieve by 2030. So it kind of provides a medium term horizon, which is realistic, because, you know, a lot of this work cannot be done just in the short term. However, I think some of those missions are, you know, are either ill-defined or else really unachievable. So for instance, to have one internationally globally leading city in every region of the country isn't going to happen by 2030. And also, it's not clear that that is really the most desirable thing. I mean, just making some of those cities, you know, work better for the people and for the areas around them is already uh, enough progress. We don't need them to be internationally, globally leading cities in the way that London is in comparison to, you know, other capitals around the Western world. Having said all of that, the progress is, I think, incredibly mixed and really uh, limited to a few projects. So on Teesside, there are a number of things that have happened. You know, we've seen uh, Teesside take back control of an airport. We're seeing some uh, work around free ports there and elsewhere. We're clearly seeing some leveling up funds now being committed. But A, the process has been very long and very convoluted. Secondly, it's been far too expensive. Local authorities have spent countless time and energy on this. I think some applications were 30,000 words long and unsuccessful. It's, an, it's a huge use of resource and often for really for crumbs. And those towns that were successful in the first round can't apply in the second, so there isn't really the follow-through and investment at scale that you need. There are all sorts of problems with it. I think fundamentally, it's a lack of investment. It's a lack of committing the capital we need through public as well as private sources. There's a real lack of focusing on things like skills. Skills spending could be devolved immediately and would be better, I think, delivered and, and skills programs designed where they're more local. And also there's a you know, lack of joining up the different institutions. So yes, to more devolution, as all politicians keep on saying, but central government still has a role to play. But it shouldn't just be through treasury controlled diktats. It should really be central government doing the things that it can do, for instance, opening up big investment, helping to unlock private investment, but also regional local governments being given the powers and the resource to really change the areas. We're not really seeing a completely thought through plan and action, which is short, medium and long term. We need all of these things. It's a generational task, but some things can and should be done in the short term and haven't been done. Obviously, now you outlined what both is working and not working, but we at we the Institute and specifically you and the team recently called for all the leveling up uh, funds to be unified into an integrated system. So why this should bring about an improvement in how the leveling up projects should run? You know, why is better for them to be integrated rather than being managed by local authorities directly? So if you can just expand on this point. Yeah. So I think the problem uh, with the way that all the funding is dispersed is twofold. One is that it is still really far too much in the hands of either Treasury or other government departments. 
Uh, whereas, of course, what we want to see is rather than having all these fragmented funds at the center, some of it should be devolved in the first place. So I mentioned skill spending already. That's the sort of thing which could be devolved. Okay, then we wouldn't have to have fights over who gets what. It would be devolved and local authorities could then design programs together with uh, local higher education, further education colleges together with business and trade unions, you know, really based around local needs. So that's one thing that should be devolved. Okay, other funds are far too dispersed. So we get little pots of money here, little pots of money there towns bid for them. They spend a lot of time on this. It's very unproductive because the sums are too small. Rather, bring the funding together so that some towns get a meaningful amount. Otherwise, it's not going to make a difference. If you get a small amount in the first round and you're not allowed to bid in the second, it's really just crumbs. It's drops in the ocean. It's better than nothing, of course, but it's just not good enough. If we aren't going to commit more resource, let's at least commit the resource we have in a more meaningful way. Yes, it involves hard choices. But I think a unified system would make sense and also simplified so councils don't spend inordinate amounts of money and energy on it. Make that application easy, more transparent, really based on economic and social criteria. I'm not sure that currently the way funds are allocated is done by strict economic and social criteria. And I think that's another issue here. So you're talking about less bureaucracy overall as well? Absolutely. Less bureaucracy from the center, more agency on the part of local authorities, mayoralties, city regions. You know, we are still operating in a sort of command and control system where a lot of it is top down. Now, to be fair to leveling department, I think recently they have recognized that if Treasury aren't going to commit more resources to this, that actually they need to go out and find some of the local leaders and some of the local authorities with whom they can do deals. So I think they're now recognizing that some of it is, is going to have to be bottom-up and it's going to have to be uh, sort of done in a, in a less bureaucratic way. So there is some movement here. But again, the wheels, you know, turn really slowly. And some of this, I think, could have been done a lot earlier. The point is now there really is urgency because the less is being done now, the more we're going to have low growth, low skill, low investment, low productivity, and all of the problems that have beset the British economy for far too long. And that is a vicious circle and it's hard to break out of, especially when you're facing global shocks like you know, the cost yeah. of living crisis induced by, by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So another policy recommendation you recently called for is the creation of a national development bank. So why do you think that is needed? What is lacking on, on that front at the moment that, you know, uh, prompts you to, to, to call for that? And would that be a better use of resources as well? Would, you know, how would that help in, the, in, you know, trying to smooth some of the things you were talking about that are not working at the moment? So some of the work we've done at the National Institute, including as part of the Productivity Commission that we're hosting, is to look at investment. Why is both public and business investment so low in this country? Why has it been so low for so long? Low by both historic standards, but also international comparison. And that is especially the case since the financial crash, but even before that. So there is a lack of investment. We know without investment, we're not really going to generate growth, productivity, employment skills, infrastructure, you know, uh, housing, all the things that we need to prosper as a country and also to spread wealth, well-being and provide people with genuine life chances. You know, so investment is a key factor in all of this. Why are we not seeing more investment, even in times when growth has been higher, like, for instance, in the run up to the financial crisis? It's because I don't think we've got the institutions to get the money that does exist to the places where it's most needed. So we know that a lot of infrastructure investment has been concentrated in London and the Southeast. Now, that's great for London and the Southeast. And, you know, I benefit from it as someone who lives in London. But millions of people are not benefiting from it in the Midlands, in the North, you know, and elsewhere. 
So we need to not just rewrite some of the, the Green Book rules that I think Treasury have now begun to revise around infrastructure spending, but also need the institutions to get the money there, not just public investment, but also helping to unlock private. Often we know that public investment can do that because it provides long-term security and guarantees that business needs, especially in times of high political uncertainty. We've had uncertainty since Brexit. We have geopolitical uncertainty now. Business need to know that government are going to be in it for the long term. So public investment is vital. Why a national development bank? Because I think, again, it's about bringing together some of the funding rather than having it dispersed and fragmented. We have a national infrastructure bank, which is a great addition to the landscape, but it's only infrastructure. It doesn't finance other projects. You know, we have lost funding through the European Investment Bank as a result of Brexit that we need to properly replace, and we haven't done so. Why not bring it together under one umbrella and make sure that there are the resources and that means investment, underwriting other investment, and you know something like 50 billion would get us a long, long way. Why? Because we know other countries, such as Germany, have got the equivalent of a development bank that can do that. It can help with export finance. It can help with certain renewable energy. It can do a whole lot more than we're currently doing. And I think it's just time for some institution building that can provide that long-term horizon that British politics and policy is particularly bad about. We are very short-term, it's very fragmented. And that's one of the reasons why this economic and political model isn't working for millions. So you think a national development bank will help streamline the processes, you know, will help with the bureaucracy process, or is, is, is a way to manage the, the funds more effective? This is what you think. It's all of those things, but it's also providing investment at the right scale. You know, we're still not doing enough. As I said, the infrastructure bank is very welcome, but it's got about £22 billion. You know, that's a good start, but we need more. You know, the capital needs are greater than that, okay? We've got the National Infrastructure Commission that makes recommendations, but again, it's not clear how that is directed. We used to have an Industrial Strategy Council that was, a, you know, abolished, but was supposed to, in some sense, be reflected in the plan for growth, which is led by Treasury. So we've got these different initiatives, but they're not coordinated. That's a coordination issue. Yeah. It's also an issue, as I said, of scale, and it's an issue of demonstrating very visibly that the, the British state as a whole, with the involvement of regional and local levels, is in it for the long term. Because the danger with a lot of levelling up stuff is that it's essentially defined by the political cycle, not by the economic cycle. The political cycle is that of elections. We don't want programmes to stop just because we have an election and potentially change of either government or change of prime minister. We need to provide a longer term horizon for investment because that's what investment needs. And I think it's really about all of those issues, as well as absolutely streamlining and trying to be less opaque, less bureaucratic, less inefficient. Yeah, thank you, Adrian. So to conclude, what next for the levelling up agenda? Obviously, we know there are the elections coming relatively soon, but putting that aside for a moment, what do you think is going to happen either you know, before then or after then in the medium and long term to the many issues you have so clearly outlined? So I think the really encouraging thing to notice is that there is a broad political, party political consensus about this. You know, no party anywhere in the country, be it Conservative, Labour, Lib Dems, Greens, SNP, Plaid Cymru, and, you know, we can go through all of the parties, different levels, now doubts that something very radical and bold has to be done, that the inequalities are such that if we don't tackle them, we'll have many more political shocks and perhaps of a much greater scale than we've seen so far. Let's not forget that, you know, after the financial crisis and before Brexit, we had riots in Tottenham, you know, there have been riots in other parts yeah. of the country. So I think politically this is accepted, which is very encouraging. I think now 
the next step is to go from a more piecemeal approach with you know fragmented funding and all the problems we've discussed to really think, okay, so how can we marry the scale of the task with ambitious, bold policy and institutional reform? Some of that will take time, but whether it's you know devolution of certain decision-making powers and resources, or something like a national development bank, or other institutional reform that's talked about, I think that's the next thing for this agenda. Not just to say, oh, you know, we'll do a little bit of this and that, and one more kind of push will do it. No, we need to now entrench this across government and make sure that some bold things happen in the next few years, because we cannot wait for another generation. Otherwise, I think we have a lot more instability uh, in store. And frankly, I think this country needs anything but more instability. It now needs a clear vision, you know, with a real economic industrial strategy that really covers the whole economy and not just one sector in one part of the country. Otherwise, there is the risk of too little too late, it seems to me. So thank you, Adrian, for your time today and keep following our work on leveling up and many other issues at uh, nisa.ac.uk. And until the next one, goodbye. <laughs>